Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The following was recorded on Sunday, March 6, 2022. Today's message title, Where the Good News of Jesus Meets Dating and Relationships. Today we're going to be dwelling on uh, what we're going to do is we're looking at how the good news of Jesus relates to all of life. And uh, we've done some interesting topics, how the good news of Jesus relates to sexuality to a lot of other stuff right now we're doing how the good news of jesus meets us in our dating and relationships um now before we dive into it i i I realize that sometimes pastors come off as the guys who got it all right and if you've ever heard my story you know that i i'm not the the example of how to do dating right Uh, in fact there is a law out there that what if something can go wrong it will go wrong what is that law called Birkin's law? I, I, I like to call it Gunnar's law because I feel like it applies to me a lot. <laughs> um, someone's law out there. Um, and I feel, so when it comes to dating, uh, I've done almost everything wrong. And that sounds like I'm exaggerating and being hyperbolic, and I'm not. I literally did almost literally everything wrong. So a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about here is stuff that I found out afterwards would be helpful to know while I was dating. And so today we're going to be asking ourselves, how does the good news of Jesus relate to us in our dating and relationships? Um, and are you guys, are you guys excited to hear what the Bible has to say about dating? Yeah. Well, it says nothing about dating. I did a word search and there's nothing, no reference in the whole Bible about dating. So it's the first short sermon in the church of Lovestone. Have a good week. And uh, God bless you. No, I'm just kidding. Well, let me tell you, the Bible says absolutely nothing about dating. It says a lot about marriage and it says a lot about something called betrothal to, to which most of us just kind of like, okay, don't know what that means. Moving on. Uh, which was, you know, in some cases in the Bible, almost taken as seriously as marriage in and of itself. Um, so dating as we know it today is a rather new concept especially if we're looking at dating from a typical Icelandic perspective. Uh, I don't know if you know this a lot about Icelanders, but Icelanders view relationships very differently from most of the rest of the world. Here, it's sort of expected that you date and stay in a relationship for maybe 10 or 15 years. You move in together, you have two or three children, then you might start thinking about getting engaged. And once you've been dating and had a few kids together and moved around or something, then you might get married maybe after 20 or so years of dating each other. That is definitely not a concept that's ever found in the Bible. Um, Now, here's some fun facts about Iceland. Did you know, now we're always saying Iceland best in the world, right? You just have to measure it per capita, as we jokingly say. If you measure anything per capita, Iceland is best in the world, in everything, right? Amen? Can I, (laughs) all the Icelanders sitting. Now, here's one thing that's pretty bad. We're number one in the world. We are number one in the world of having kids outside of marriage. 
So do you know that? Only 30% of children born in Iceland are born to married parents. 70% of children are, be, uh, are born to dating parents, if, if you would. Um, that, of course, is a rather strange phenomenon if you compare it to any other time in human history and almost across any kind of culture. So when we typically think of dating in Iceland, let us remember that the Bible does, doesn't def, definitely has nothing like Icelandic dating in mind when it comes to this, um, other than it may be just being sinful. <laughs> and when I say sinful, well, that word sounds like very, wow, that's very serious. Sinful, if you look at the Hebrew word for sin, it's simply, it's an archery term, meaning that you missed the mark that you missed the mark for what God created you for. Um, so the Bible doesn't talk about uh, dating, but it talks about marriage a lot, which does give us principles for how we as Christians should view dating. And, and again, as always, I, I want to underline this. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised that there, there are people out there that view Christians as weirdos, right? That's typically been the case in human history, in any culture that's pre-Christian or even post-Christian. And if you, if you think you're, uh, you know, we're a part of the generation that's being mocked for our faith and ridiculed for our faith, and that's unheard of in human history until now, just remember when the New Testament is written, it's written to people that are about to be murdered for being Christians, right? So it's not unheard of for Christians to be mocked. Greek philosophers mocked Christianity so much. How do you worship a God that couldn't survive the Roman government? That was one of their mockeries. How do you trust in a resurrection when the main witnesses are women? You know, today we're like, well, I mean, what's, what's wrong with that? <laughs> you know, to back then, they were literally saw that as a good argument to which we say, okay, maybe there's something to this story. They definitely weren't making up a story. Why would you make up a story about a savior who got murdered by the Roman government and the main witnesses to his resurrection were women? Now, we should remember that Christians have always been on and off throughout history in different cultures, been viewed as the weirdos. Um, today, we find ourselves in sort of post-Christian culture when maybe Christian ethics are still in place, but we've moved God out of the picture, uh, but that's not unheard of. So. When we ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about dating? Let's remember, let's, let's get ready to be weird about this subject as with most other subjects. And also remember this, when we go and tell other people about Jesus, we're not trying to make them look like Christians, right? We shouldn't be surprised that non-Christians don't behave like Christians and don't agree with us on things that we as Christians hold to. Our, our objective when we are telling the world about Jesus is not to get people to date like Christians should date. Our objective is to tell them about Jesus. Is to tell them about Jesus, which is the root of our faith. Because all of us have gotten things so wrong so many times. Can I get an amen? Amen to that? Amen. Elliot, even you? And you're an elder? Oh my gosh. We should, oh, okay. Uh, the fact that it, it says nothing about dating, though, the Bible should tell us a, a, a lot about how we should view it in our day and age. And the first point I, I want to reiterate is this. 
date, not for dating's sake, but with marriage in view. Um, I don't see anything wrong in and of itself with the word dating, but the Bible prescribes that we ought not to settle for dating just for dating's sake. Since it doesn't mention dating at all, but rather we as Christians should be the weirdos who seek marriage. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, we live in a culture that's really committophobic. Have you noticed this? <laughs> like even with jobs, back in the day, you used to hear of like people working in the same companies for like 40 years. Uh, and then in the American movies, they get like a watch or something after, you know, as they go into retirement. Uh, now we're sort of like, even in our workplaces, we're committed folk. Maybe I'll stay here for six months, maybe two years. We'll see what happens. And the same thing has happened in relationships. A lot of people, they just want to have as a little commitment as possible uh, and just kind of view that as a good thing. And so uh, they don't really seek marriage as a big step to aim for, because why would you? It comes with a lot of commitment. It comes with consequences. If you have to get out of the, get out of the marriage, there's legal consequences. It's all types of mess. Now, the expression of romantic relationship found and prescribed in the Bible blossoms in the context of marriage. So our view as Christians should to see dating in the light of, okay, is this going to lead to marriage? Um, am I willing to commit to this woman, this man that I'm dating in a lifelong marriage? Uh, there's one quote by, I, it's funny when you read words and you have no idea how they're prescribed to, uh, or uh, pronounced, not prescribed. Uh, there's this guy whose name is Jefferson Bethke. I think how you pronounce that. Bethke. Um, he, he said this quote, Dating with no intent to marry is like going to the grocery store with no money. You either leave very unhappy or take something that isn't yours. I thought it was a good quote. I don't know about you, but I've known many people throughout my years who are dating someone just for the purpose of dating someone. Um, it's like, well, should I watch Netflix or should I find a girlfriend? You know, type of deal. That's how. That's how honestly I've seen some of my friends think about dating. Um, haven't never even thought about, well, do I actually want to marry this woman? Do I want to marry this man? Or even staying in a relationship that they know that they're not going to marry. Them. It's weird. And to, to them and to a lot of people, dating was the point. Dating was the, the end goal, not marriage. And so it's weird uh, for me to stand up here because if you, if you haven't noticed, I haven't read a Bible verse yet, right? Have you noticed that? <laughs> so I am making a case from silence, which uh, logic tells you that you should not do that ever, make a case from silence. Uh, but I am going to make my first point a case from silence because the Bible doesn't talk about dating. Um, the first point I want to leave with us is that we shouldn't make dating our main goal as the rest of the world does in many ways. Um, and, uh, and we should see dating basically as a way to get to marriage, to ask ourselves, am I ready to commit to this woman, to this man for the rest of my life? And then to cease, uh, mar uh cease dating when, it, and if the answer is no, uh, why waste our time? Why, why spend our time getting into more heartache? So let me start with this. It's the same verse from last week. Again, an appeal to us to be weirdos. Uh, Romans 12, 1 through 2, 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice that. There's no mention of gatherings, services on Sundays. What is our worship? It's to present our whole lives before God. Worship doesn't stop when the service is over. Worship is living, denying ourselves, following Jesus. Um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I want to encourage you to accept Paul's challenge here today and become a weirdo. Don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our mind. Let's seek out Let's discern what is the will of God, the good, the acceptable, and perfect. I like how he puts acceptable and perfect in there. Oh, okay. I'll let that pass. And oh, perfect. (laughs) I like that. Let us date, not for dating sake, but to see if God would have us commit to one another in marriage. Now, if, if we give ourselves this point, that the purpose of marriage uh, is to determine if we're ready to take our step into marriage, uh, it opens up a big can of worms, uh, right? As they say in the U.S. I don't know if that flies over everybody's other's head. It opens up a lot of questions. What are some of the questions that we should ask uh, about the, the guy or the girl when we're dating them? What kind of person are we looking to date or marry? What should you look for in a husband or a wife? How long should you date? How far can we go in intimacy while dating? What's wrong with living together before marriage? Um, and if you're trying to determine marriage, isn't sexual compatibility in the picture? Shouldn't you have to worry about that? What role does community play in marriage? Should I just tell my family to keep it to themselves? Um, is the church play any role in, dat- in dating? And those kinds of questions. So it opens up a lot of questions. And to these questions, the Bible is full of practical advice and wisdom. And so I want to start with this. The principle uh, that really answers most of these questions, uh, the principle that answers all others. What does the Bible say about these things? Here's, Here's one principle that arises as sort of the foundation that I would recommend to you. If you're a Christian in here and you've given your life to following Jesus, I would recommend that you start with this view in mind. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through 15, it says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? So I think... This is one of the, uh, not one of the, when it comes to dating, the most important principle to follow. Uh, here you see it in 2 Corinthians 6. You also see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. Um, what you're doing as a, a, as a Christian guy, as a Christian woman, is you're seeking out another Christian to marry. Um, and I don't know about you. <laughs> For the longest time, I thought this was really stupid. I thought it was outdated. I thought Paul was just kind of narrow-minded. I grew up in the church. I thought I was a Christian for the longest time. And yet I didn't understand the faith at all. 
And so uh, I kind of viewed these words like Paul would be telling me like, okay, now Gunnar, make sure that you find a woman who agrees with you on what is good music and what is bad music. That's what I, how I viewed his commands. Make sure you find a good woman who does not listen to country music. <laughs> that's, that's how I viewed this. Or make sure you find a good woman who likes your hobbies as well or shares your taste in TV shows and movies. And I was kind of wondering, like, why? And you see the problem there in that thinking? <laughs> in my mind, back then, before I knew what Christianity was, I viewed it like a hobby. I viewed it like uh, a thing I like to do. But, you know, Jesus was sort of like uh, the spice that you sprinkle on top of the main meal of life. You sort of like sprinkle a little Jesus on your life. And that's how the Christian life is. To my mind, Christianity was, I believe that God exists and I'm trying to be a nice person. Now, I didn't understand that in order to be a Christian, you had to actually follow Jesus. And I didn't understand the words of Jesus when he said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and you have to follow me. And once I came to realize those words, I started to realize that Christianity is definitely not like my taste in music. It's definitely not like my hobbies. It's definitely not like my taste in movies. If you're denying yourself, if you're taking up your cross and you're following Jesus, what that does, it influences everything in life. I don't know about you guys, but it transformed how I think. It, it transformed what I value in life. It, it transforms how I see life, how I view money, how I view merits, how I view parenting, how I spend my time, how I live and talk. It influences literally everything. And once I came to faith, it even, it, it even, influenced and gave me a reason to love. Like, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I came into our marriage basically viewing Svava, saying, how can this woman please me as much as she possibly can? That's how I came into marriage. Super selfish. I was, I was out for my interest, my good. And then I saw a king. Have you, have you realized this? Jesus comes as king, not of an earthly kingdom, but of a heavenly kingdom. Think about all of the movies you've watched and books you've read about kings. What do they do? They send out other people to die for them, to fight for them, to sacrifice for them. And here I'm reading about a king and he does the exact opposite. He deserved all the glory. He deserved all of my worship. All of, he deserved all of my life. And yet he came not to serve, but to wash his disciples' feet. Can you imagine that? Like washing people's feet in the 21st century is disgusting, right? And they didn't have nice boots. There was way worse stuff happening in the first century than just a, a bad smell. There was infection and sand between the toes and you didn't know how long it had been there. There's a lot of that, right? And that's the king of glory on his knees, wiping his disciples' feet. 
And once you realize that, and once you start to sink in, he was hanging on a cross, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. To die for you and me, that starts to give you a different motivation even to love. If he did this for me, I always have a reason to love my wife. So once you, did the, once you start to realize that the, the faith is way more than a hobby, way more than a preference, you start to realize, no, what, what Paul is saying here is make sure you have someone who is with you in this, this, this mission of, of following Jesus. And I love the picture that he uses here of not being unequally yoked. Um, I started lifting uh, a few years and I, I just think of that now when I, when I hear yoked, <laughs> it's like, that's a muscular guy's yoked uh, as the young kids say these days. I'm just um, no, but uh, the picture here is not of uh, a muscular guy. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a, in the first century, what you would think of when you, when you heard the term unequally yoked was you saw a picture of two oxen who would have a yoke around their neck. And that, that's the picture you would have. Uh, and that's the picture of being unequally yoked <laughs> that, that he paints there. It's a picture that not only says that only one of you will be pulling the load. It actually says, no, the other one is not allowing you to pull the load. If you're unequally yoked to someone, if you decide to date someone who isn't a Christian, who isn't going in the same direction as you, uh, not only will you be the only one carrying the load, it will be more difficult to carry the load because you're unequally yoked. Um, and here's a, a good dating tip. And I, by the way, let me stop here for a moment. I realize that some find themselves in a marriage right now where they are unequally yoked, right? Some. Some decided to date um, a non-Christian woman, a non-Christian man. No one talked to them. I've talked to a Christian woman who, who was so hurt by the fact that she was dating a non-Christian man for years. For, for years, They got married and no one in the church ever said, you shouldn't do this. Because now she has a kid with him. And now when it comes to what, what are we going to teach this kid? What, what are the, how are we going to view our money, our time, and all this type of stuff? She sees how they're going in completely opposite directions all the time. But let me remind you, you're not alone in that scenario. If you find yourself in that scenario, there's plenty of resources to give you that we as a community want to be around you and pray for you and help you. Uh, there's, there's a whole chapter in the Bible. First Corinthians chapter seven talks about this. What if, you know, and in that context, it's really strange because you were coming out of paganism, right? And your husband was still a pagan and he was going to the temple of Artemis, uh, doing all these sacrifices. And, and anyways, I just want to, if you want to talk about that after this sermon, I would love to talk, talk to you and pray with you and, um, and we as a community be here for you, but. Here's a good dating tip uh, that I heard from someone else. Uh, this is a line uh, that I think is in line with this scripture. If we're looking for someone um, to, to be equally yoked with us, it says, uh, run as yeah, anonymous. I was putting a joke, not the hackers. <laughs> I don't know who, who it is. Run as fast as you can after God for a while. And if someone keeps up, introduce yourself. I thought, man, I would have loved to have been this wise when I was dating. Just run after God for a while and then to take a break and look around and someone else is with you there. Say, hey, my name is Gunnar. 
uh, and, and see what happens. Um, but what does it mean to not be unequally yoked? Well, again, the picture is of two animals that are stuck together to pull the same load into the same direction. And this means that you agree, number one, what, what load is worth carrying in life? And number two, you agree on the direction that you want your life to go. If you want to honor Jesus, if you want to live in light of his glory. Uh, what this means is that you both want to be conformed to the image of Jesus, right? This does not necessarily mean that you guys agree on every little theological issue, um, but you agree that you want to serve and love Jesus and you want to love like Jesus. You want his word to be, be your final authority. And that's what I recommend. If you're looking for someone, if, you, if you're seeking marriage in the end, uh, I, I want you to notice this. Find someone who agrees that the Bible is the foundation for your life. This is one of the, the ways that God has revealed his mercy in, in our marriage is that we both agreed on that without really ever having to talk about it, <laughs> which was just one way of God showing us mercy. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Gunnar, you did everything wrong and you seem to be okay. And I'm like, yes, but you know, it's kind of like driving through a school zone going 200 kilometers an hour. And yeah, I made it through and I didn't hit anybody, but I don't recommend other people do it, you know? Uh, and, and God can definitely catch you in your grace and when you fall, uh, but I don't recommend you go that route. And so what, what I would recommend that you do is if you're, if you're looking to date someone, be it a, yeah, a, a guy or a girl, find someone who agrees with you that this little book, not so little, but this book, this is the foundation of what you believe, how you seek to live. Because here's one of the things that I realized after the fact. <laughs> if I would have found simply a woman who agreed with me theologically 11 years ago, when I wasn't a Christian, by the way, <laughs> I would have changed in light of scripture uh, in a lot of ways. I would have thought differently about a lot of different stuff that all of a sudden I realized the, the word of God rebuked me. It encouraged me. It made me qualified and helped me be ready for the good works that he had prepared for me to do. Uh, and I changed a lot in the last, it's been 11 years of marriage now. And if I would have simply found someone who agreed with me 11 years ago, but didn't agree with me that we should always change in light of what the scripture says, then I would simply be married to someone who agreed with me 11 years ago. And she would be at a very, very different spot than I was. So when we're talking about not being unequally yoked, don't think to yourself, oh, he or she must agree with me on every single uh, minute detail of theological importance. Yeah. Where do you stand on supralapsarianism? You know, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, yeah, most of you don't know that word. Don't think about that word. Don't ever think about that word. It just confuses things. <laughs> do not. Uh, seek out someone who wants to be faithful to Jesus, who wants to love Jesus, and he wants to love like Jesus. Find someone who agrees with you that I want to be conformed into his image. And this is his word, my foundation for my life. And I'm ready to be transformed. If God tells me I'm wrong, I want to be the one who changes. I don't want to be the one who changes the word of God. Uh, the word says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. 
Now you are seeking someone who is pushing you towards Jesus, not anybody else, not even himself or herself. Have you noticed that like in, in like romantic novels and movies, like typically the whole focus is just on the relationship. Well, here's another way that we can be weirdos as Christians. We want to push each other to love Jesus, right? That's the influence that you want to be. And, and, and in, a, in a Christian marriage, what you have is you have three things. You have a lover, you have a partner, and then you have a friend, right? And so what you want in a lover, what you want in someone who's partnering with you in the mission of life, <laughs> what you want in a friend is to have someone who pushes you to Jesus, who doesn't seek to take the place of Jesus, but pushes you towards him. So you're looking for a spouse that will put you closer to your savior and not to sin. So what does that teach us about dating? Well, here's one obvious example. Like if you're going out on a date, however that happens in a modern context that confuses me, right? I think it's probably involves some apps on a phone now, most of the time, it seems. You're going on a date and the first date, the guy is trying to convince you to join him in robbing a bank. Right? What, what do we say as Christians? Let me think about it. Pray about it. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think we're good. I think we don't need a second date. Right? If you go on a date, you're a guy and the girl is trying to convince you to get into fights with all the people walking down the street. You say, ah, let me pray about it. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't want to be that. No, no, no. That's one date was enough. We don't need to go any further. Right? And that's sort of the extreme examples. And we can all say, yeah, if, if my girlfriend is trying to get me to rob a bank, probably not a good influence in my life. And if, the, if the boyfriend keeps getting in fights and keeps pulling me into fights, it's probably not something I need in my life right now. I've got other issues, right? These are really good signs that you have a healthy mindset about these things, right? Don't, don't get into those relationships, but there are more sneaky things there are more tempting to give in on. And there are things that are not as obvious as someone trying to convince you to rob a bank. It might simply be a guy or a girl that's seeking all of your attention all the time. A guy or a girl that wants to be number one in your life and take the place of God. A guy or a girl who is not encouraging you on your walk with God, who is encouraging you to walk away from God. And most of the time that doesn't come out in a text that says, hey, just deny your faith. No, it's just like, it's just being super clingy and needy. And that's what, what it looks like. And then uh, before you know it, if you go down that road for a few months, all of a sudden you realize that you've started to neglect your, your prayer, your Bible reading, you've started to neglect your friends, your church community and everything else. See how we laugh when someone tried to, try to convince us to rob a bank? <laughs> And then there are other more sneaky issues that we need to worry about when dating or, or, um, yeah, because he or she cannot fulfill the spot that only God can fill in your life. And in dating, especially in dating, let me, let me just, cause I hate this myth so much, this myth of you complete me that we see in so many movies. Oh, I'm so complete right now. It's amazing. That's a burden that the opposite person can never carry. 
If you place that burden on another human being, he or she completes me, you're going to be severely disappointed or they're going to be crushed under the weight of carrying a load that God is the only one who can carry it. Um, and here's another way that dating goes wrong for people who want to think biblically about things. The Bible teaches that sex is good, but it's only to be enjoyed in the context of marriage between a man and a woman, right? So if you think about some scriptures like 2 Timothy 2, 22, by the way, I wish this were like Tuesday, the t- Tuesday, right? There's like, and if we were 2 Timothy 2, 2, 2 and on the Tuesday, anyway. So, so flee. <laughs> So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Well, often the most tempting things to do while dating is not to go and rob a bank together or cause violence on the street. The most tempting thing is to um, not wait to enjoy the good gifts of God like sex. Because what we do is when we do uh, enjoy good gifts that God has given us or neutral gifts in life like money and we place them or view them in the wrong way, we make them bad for ourselves. Um, and and, and uh, there's so many times here, especially here in Iceland, probably in other cultures around the world where people want to Enjoy the good gifts of God before the time has come. The question is for us, will you be dating a man or a woman who is encouraging you to live biblically when it is hard to do so? Will you be dating a man or woman who is not trying to place himself or herself in the center of your life, but encouraging you to go to Christ? Will you be dating a man or a woman who is willing to lay down uh, not enjoying the gifts of God because it's not the right time for them. Have you thought about this? Like in the desert, when the, when the devil is tempting Jesus, and I didn't write this down. I probably shouldn't go here, but let me, let me stop for a moment. When, when the devil is tempting Jesus in the desert, was it Matthew chapter four, something like that. Notice what, what are the temptations? What turn these stones to bread? Come, uh, uh, if you bow to me, the whole world's going to worship you. Right. Uh, what is the other one? Jump off the temple and uh, the angels will catch you. It's these three, right? All of them, the angels do come and minister to him at the very end of that scene. He is fed. And eventually his name is going to be the name that every other human being will bow to. Do you realize that? When, the tempta- when Jesus was going through those temptations, It was not about that he wouldn't get this eventually. It was the fact that he wanted it now. Go for it now. And it was just a matter of waiting. No, I'm going to do this when my father tells me it's time. When my father tells me it's time, he will let the angels minister to me. When my father tells me it's time, I will get the bread to eat. When my father tells me it's time, every knee on earth will bow to the name of Jesus. Right? Eventually, all these things are going to happen. It was just a matter of, is Jesus willing to say in this moment, I'm going to trust the Father's plan for it not happening right now? So making the drastic change over to dating, (laughs) are we willing to trust 
and say to God, I want to enjoy this. I'm going to trust that you know better. I'm going to trust your plan in this. Uh, I loved, uh, as the great philosopher, uh, Bob Norton put it, uh, Bob Norton, the great philosopher in Knoxville, Tennessee. He, he, he put this quote to me this last week when he knew I was doing a sermon on dating. Being in the backseat of a car at midnight with your girlfriend is not the place or time to decide where you stand with regards to premarital sex. <laughs> and uh, he's a football coach in the US and a, and, a, and a principal for like 60 years or something ridiculous. So yeah, he knows his stuff. If, you, if you're looking for a godly man to lead your family well by laying his life down for you, look at how he relates to you sexually during dating. And men, are you looking for a godly woman who supports you in your pursuit of God? Look at what he encourages you to do and discourages you to. If you are dating to decide on marriage, ask yourself this question. Will he or she, as a lover, as a friend, as a partner, support me in fleeing from youthful lust or pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace? And is he or she someone who calls on the Lord with a pure heart? That's weird, right? <laughs> Not necessarily what you'd get in a typical YouTube video about dating, right? This outlook on dating, that you are dating to see if you are supporting each other in the things that matter most, answers a lot of the other questions uh, with some practical wisdom, right? And most of these questions are answered when you would just ask yourself, would I be doing this if Jesus was standing right next to me right now? Right? <laughs> Just ask yourself that question. And if the answer is no, don't do it. Like this. How far is too far while dating? How far can we go in intimacy? Um, don't we have to see how sexually compatible we are before we commit to each other in lifelong merits? Well, if you both say, we're going to trust God in this matter. We're going to trust that he actually knows better than us and that he is leading us in a life where we have joy and satisfaction in him. When it comes to sex, we would just say, we're going to enjoy it the way God created it and, and trust that God knows best where our happiness is. And here's the thing with sex. It gets better the more you know the person and get to practice together. Here's the thing. That's, that's just something that always happens. I promise you that. Uh, this is to the point where I just feel sorry for people who never commit to anybody, who just move around to different people. Here's another thing. Second Timothy tells us to pursue righteousness, right? We're supposed to flee youthful lust. Well, when it comes to questions like how far is too far in a relationship, if we're being honest with ourselves, we're basically just asking the question of how much can I get away with, right? Let's rephrase the question. Let's be honest. Uh, that is what we mean when we say how far is too far. How much can I get away with? Where's the line so that I can dance on it for a while? Um, but if, we, if we're both thinking about, okay, we want to pursue righteousness. We want to flee youthful lust. What we should be asking ourselves is more like, uh, how can I date in such a way that I honor this man or this woman and give glory to God? That's more of a Christian way to think about dating. And so a, a simple question like, like I said earlier, would I be doing this right now if Jesus was standing right next to me? 
kissing your girlfriend, Jesus just standing there. Would I, would I feel comfortable enough doing what I'm doing? <laughs> you know? And if we ask ourselves the question, the, the answer gets relatively easy to answer. It also answers the question as to what our role, our, our community and family plays in our dating relationship. Do you trust them to give you wisdom, to point you to Jesus, to give you, uh, to help you pursue him? Do you surround yourself with brothers and sisters who tell you your blind spots? And here, here's something. If you really want to see if someone cares for you in the modern context where we are so uncomfortable with people telling us the truth that we need to hear, do you have people around you that love you enough to tell you the truth even when you disagree with it? Proverbs 15, 22 says, without a counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. But if dating is the purpose of looking for a man or a woman who you're going to commit to in marriage for the rest of your life, I just want to go over some very practical things here at the end of the sermon. And that's what to look for in a person that you're dating. Um, Proverbs 31, uh, 30. Proverbs 31 is that Proverbs 31 woman, right? Uh, we all know that it's a great chapter to read. If you're looking for a woman, she has to run a vineyard and all this type of stuff. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, there's a lot of good stuff in Proverbs 31. Uh, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Okay. So I want you to raise your hands. If you agree with me on this, um, I thought for the longest time that people who said 15 years into their merits, Oh, I love her more now today than I did when we first got married. How many people thought that was like, yeah, we'll see. Kind of really though, like low key lying, right? Not, not quite lying, but you're just, you're just saying stuff to get brownie points or because it's like the people expect you to say that type of stuff. That's what I thought all the time. It's like, that's not true. That's, that's not true. The butterflies are gone. It's just, you know, land now 15 years um anyways i'm here to tell you it's not a lie <laughs> I'm, I'm more and more convinced of the fact uh that you don't fall in love when you think about falling typically negative stuff happens right you fall and you break your ankle you fall and there's a pile of poop there for some reason you you, you fall in the snow ayanda where are you amen <laughs> <laughs> You fall in the snow. You have to walk around with a crutch for a couple of weeks. Saying to yourself, this is not South Africa. Or <laughs> Anyways, um, there, there's typically a lot of negative stuff that happens when you fall, right? So I'm more and more convinced that what happens with love is you grow in love. Uh, with community as well. Community, in a church community, uh, a typical community, you don't walk and just like, hey, there's community. You kind of commit and you get to experience community growing. And I, I'm more and more convinced that you don't fall in love, you grow in love. You grow uh, as you cultivate and care for your relationship. And then sometimes people don't cultivate and care for the relationship. And what, what you see happen is you grow out of love. And he, here's the thing with love you realize that it's so much more than simple physical attraction, right? One day the wrinkles are going to come in and it, it doesn't matter what cream you put on it. Right? It's just going to be there. Uh, like my family, the guys in my family have these weird eyelids. So I'm just waiting for them to kind of drop so I can barely see, right? 
like one day the wrinkles are going to come in hips, which used to be pretty firm and there are going to give out for some reason. I'm like, I'm barely 30 and I'm already starting to experience some of this back stuff. And I'm like, man, what's it going to be like when I'm 50, <laughs> like 60 or 80, man, this is going to, like, I need help getting out of bed now. Um, but stuff is going to, wrinkles are going to come in. The physical body, what is, what is Paul saying? Like second Corinthians three or something. We're wasting away outwardly. We are, tr- we are, we are carrying, we are jars of clay, carrying the treasures of the gospel. And yet we have hope, even though our bodies are wasting away, it's going to happen. I think it's the second law of thermodynamics guarantees it's going to happen. We are going to uh, wither away. Well, I am convinced that you can still grow in love with an in- individual who is uh, being beaten by the wrinkles of life, right? You can still grow in love at that point because that individual is more than what he or she looks like. Uh, and I'll tell you this, to brag on Swama a little bit because he loves it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I am I'm convinced that this cheesy saying that I thought was low-key lying for the longest time, I love her now more th- today than I did when we first got married, is true because I get to see her heartbeat for God. I get to see her run into the arms of God in difficulty. I get to see her love for w- the people around her, for our children, for me. It's amazing. And I'm, I'm more and more convinced of this, that love is something you grow into not something you fall into. Amen, Ayanta? Yeah, it's a good thing, Ayanta. You don't have to fear love. Uh, <laughs> and again, uh, look for character as you date. Are they helping you walk faithfully with God? Which reminds me of the most cheesy verses in all the Bible read in every single wedding. First Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through seven. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. When you date someone, ask yourself, is he or she short-tempered? Is she someone who you can't have a discussion with? Are they someone who is seeking to be consistent with the word of God or just sort of going with their own feelings about things? Um, are they seeking to be served or are they seeking to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and serve people around them? Or are they seeking to receive honor rather than giving honor? Romans 12.10 says, I'll do one another in showing honor. If you really want to find out uh, and this is a test that is just great. I'm going to start using it in premarital counseling. If you really want to find out someone's character, let them go on the computer with slow internet, right? And you'll see, you'll see some dark sides coming out of people, right? <laughs> no, uh, no, but in all honesty, see what, what is he like, she like under pressure? What is he like or she like when things don't go their way? That's one of the beautiful stuff that should make Christian marriages different which unfortunately is not the case uh, too often today. We should make it our aim, as Romans 10, 12 says, to outdo one another in showing honor, not receiving honor. We should outdo one another in loving and serving one another and not being served because what? Christ came to serve us. 
So when you're in a relationship and you're asking, is this a man or a woman I'm willing to commit to? And you might be tempted to say, well, she's really beautiful on the outside. Or he is very beautiful on the outside. Ask yourself the question, is there a fruit of the spirit in their life? Is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Uh, I love the warning. <laughs> Proverbs eleven twenty two is one of my <laughs> favorite verses. A beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. <laughs> he, would have, he would have been canceled today, right? If he would have... <laughs> and okay, okay. He's writing Proverbs to his son. So if he's writing Proverbs to his, uh, his daughter, you'd probably say the same thing about a beautiful man, right? Uh, a beautiful man who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. I, I just love that. It's like, imagine a pig in the dirt, doesn't even realize that there's like beautiful ring on there, but it's all messy. Of course, Proverbs uh, points us to this wisdom. Man, we should seek someone who has the character, not just the outward beauty, but the character that reflects God. Now, but where does the good news of Jesus fit into all this? The good news of Jesus fits because you're seeking someone who knows Jesus as their savior and Lord. And what that does is automatically assume that they're going into a marriage with another sinner who needs grace as well. You're seeking someone who loves Jesus and follows in the footsteps of Jesus in loving others. Jesus deserves to be served, but he came to serve. He laid down his life for our benefit. And when dating and thinking through the questions of dating, we should make it our aim to ask ourselves, is this person going to love Jesus and love like Jesus in our marriage and help me do the same? This is a great question to ask when you find yourself in this spot. And let me remind us of, of the love of Jesus. Let me remind us of his saving grace, this good news that we celebrate that gives us a reason to have hope, to extend grace and mercy to one another because we've received it from him and we seek to imitate him. And like one of my Philippians chapter two, verses two through eight are just some of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says here, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full, uh, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If you have this in marriage, it's a beautiful thing. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. Praise God, we have a savior. Amen. Praise God, we have a good Lord and praise God that love to us is not simply a concept. It's not an idea, it's a person. And we see it fulfilled in Jesus. If you need an example to, uh, to follow, you find it in Jesus. If you need, a reason to love, you find it in Jesus. 
But also, if you find yourself lacking, and we will fail in this, I've failed once already in my marriage and not loving Sava like, like Jesus. I'm scared. I, I, fail every, <laughs> I fail every single day. When you fail, not if, grace catches us, right? That's how the good news of Jesus fits into all this. He gives us a reason to love. We trust in his wisdom. Because if you, if you struggle with the fact that he might be hiding joys from you, you can look to a cross. He's not hiding anything from you. He's giving you everything. And so that's what we do. We celebrate every single week. We try to celebrate the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us and his body that was broken for us. If you need a reason to go out into this week and love and forgive and show and extend grace to others, we have it reminding of us here today. We have a cross reminding us of the torturing device that the son of God put himself on for us. We always have a reason to love. But that's how the good news of Jesus meets us in our dating and relationships. But if you are a Christian and you've, you've given yourself over to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know that when you stand before him, it's simply by the blood of the cross that saves you. And celebrate with us during this last song. Let me pray. During this last song, come and take the elements. And after the song, we'll celebrate together. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for how you loved us. We thank you for extending, um, extending your love towards us, giving us a, a reason to have hope and joy, but also giving us an example to follow. Father, I pray for, for those in here thinking about these questions, uh, thinking through whether they should date someone or get married or if they should just serve you with the rest of their life or uh, those who, who want to date now or eventually that you would give uh, right people in their life that encourage them to follow and run after Jesus. I pray that you would um, allow us to participate as a family of faith and encouraging uh, people and helping others learn from the mistakes that we've made so that we can build one another up into love and good deeds. Father, I pray that you be with us today as we celebrate and remember the great work of Jesus on our behalf. May we be encouraged to go into this week carrying the torch of the light of the gospel wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.